0: <laughs>
2: Welcome to Out of the Blue, the podcast that has been described as still on by many of our listeners. I am Jared Stormer, and with me as always, hailing from the state that brought you weddings to your cousin and probably the pet rock, my hetero life mate, Andy Bailey. Andy, how the hell are you, my friend?
3: And the jump to conclusions, Matt, with different conclusions that you can jump to.
2: I'm doing well, my friend. Very well. How are you? Uh, All things considered, I'm maintaining. Uh, You know, Michigan was swept by Michigan State this year. I'm obviously not keen on that, as Tom Izzo is showing signs of being more than a skeleton of a decaying lizard. Uh, A little bit more of that early 2000s magic is unfortunately showing through, Uh, but that's a wound that will heal, so all things considered, I'm alright, my man.
3: Yeah, you figured Michigan would learn to cover a shooter in the corner, such as McQuaid, playing 39 minutes and making 7 of 13 damn threes for 27 points. If you'd told me uh, Kenny Goins is going to have two points and Cassius Winston is going to have 14, I would say Michigan's going to win this game. But apparently they forgot how to cover corner threes, and that ended up being a detriment
2: for the sweep for Sparty on the season. Yeah, I don't know much about Matt McQuaid other than I'm other than I'm 100% certain that he plays Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm 65% certain that he's a virgin. Uh, He can also hit a lot of threes, and he really doomed us there. But before we get to that Michigan State game, there were some positives to be taken away from the victories in the Big Ten tournament. Um, The Iowa victory especially looked really good. As you said, that's a revenge game, and uh, looked really good doing it. The offense finally came to life.
3: Yeah. That was awesome. It's it's hard to believe Michigan lost to that team by 15 early in the season.
2: Yeah, that was a long time ago. And man, Michigan just seems, I mean, you think back on like the North Carolina game, the Villanova game, the Iowa game, like his, this team's been really, really up and down, um, but showed some signs in the tournament of getting some of that offensive life back um, despite the loss to Michigan State. So, does that loss to Michigan State kind of cool your hopes for the tournament going in, or does the, the do the previous performances give you some hope?
3: Um, I, I'm, a, I'm probably 50-50. I feel like uh, Izzo's really just had Michigan's number and just knows how to kind of rope-a-dope the Wolverines, fall behind a little bit in the first half, wait for the long-scoring drought, make their move, and they've pulled away. And kudos to them. It's been a brilliantly coached season by Tom Izzo and the Spartans. Um, but I think Michigan matches up very favorably with several teams in their region, and uh, beginning with Montana, who Michigan faced a couple years ago. So I think um, there's no chance to me personally of a first round upset. What do you think?
2: No, I would have to agree. And it was last year, actually, we got Montana yeah. in the first round. So uh, there's definitely some similarities between our road this year and last year, uh, and Michigan State, for their efforts, has to go through the basketball specimen that was obviously created in a lab named Zion Williamson, so I'm not envious. I'm um, actually kind of glad we lost that if that would have been our reward. Life can be unfair. <laughs> it's exactly what it's like. No good
3: deed goes unpunished, and I guess no win over this Michigan basketball team goes unpunished. Uh, yeah, and uh, so looking ahead, assuming Michigan gets past Montana, play the winner of Nevada and Florida.
2: Yeah, that's correct. And Nevada, Nevada could be tricky, so could Florida. A lot of athletes, some guys that could definitely get out into space. And like we were talking about last week, when you're talking college basketball, anyone on any given night can give you fits. And uh, this Michigan team's been incredibly inconsistent, so it's just going to matter what Michigan team you get. Um, If you get the team that you saw against Iowa, Nebraska, North Carolina early in the season, there's really nobody that can beat us outside of Duke. I mean, if they get hot and they're hitting their threes and John Teske is a factor and and Charles Matthews is getting to the the rack, I mean, I'm not afraid of anyone, but the way things have been going of late and the inconsistency, uh, I mean, I'm worried starting round two against probably Nevada.
3: Yeah, very nervous. And I think one thing Michigan has to do a better job of as a team is move the ball. Um, In the Michigan State loss, Uh, Xavier Simpson had 10 assists. No other player had more than two. And that's a big red flag. The ball has to be moving. going. We can't be playing isolation. Just create your own shot. And I think that's a big detriment to this team. If they can do that or play like they have against other teams, then just avoid the drought. Just avoid it. Maybe even Beeline burn a timeout in the middle of that just to wake the guys up. Because that's the only time they really collapse in these games. I mean, you look what they did to North Carolina, and North Carolinas is one of the three hottest teams entering the tournament.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, I mean, Michigan, for much of the season, had one of the best defenses in the nation. They're ranked the number two defense in the nation. People forget that. I mean, their defensive efficiency is stellar. Um, you know, and they're coming in number two seed, which is great. That's what we were hoping for. That was probably the best-case scenario even after not winning the Big Ten tournament. Uh, they were a number two seed in 2014, uh, and that path was much more difficult than this one. Um, so in our, um, in our neck of the woods, we're going to see the number one seed. I mean, assuming we get through uh, what would look like Nevada, maybe Texas Tech with the, the stud that is Jared Culver, uh, we get probably the consensus easiest number one seed with Gonzaga. Uh, Who's lost in all but three of their last twenty tournament appearances before the Sweet 16 or earlier, or at the Sweet 16 or earlier? They're like the Cardi B of number one seeds. Not really all that talented, but still at the top. Hey,
3: they did make the championship two years ago, three years ago.
2: That's true. All but three.
3: Yeah, they made that one. And uh, Gonzaga is one of is I think the only team. They maybe they North Carolina the only team to beat Duke at full strength, and they waxed them in Zion early in the season. only team to really just put a beating on them. So, I mean, take that there. Cardi's got some strength
2: to her. <laughs> you're just doing that because you like Cardi B. You don't actually want to defend Gonzaga. You don't care about Gonzaga.
3: Oh, I really have no interest in the Northwestern United States at all. But, you know, i got to defend Cardi. But, yeah, you're right. This is the easiest bracket. I mean, it's also one of the most exciting though, it's like you mentioned Colbert from Texas Tech, John Morant from Murray State. There's a lot of potential for upsets here, oh, yeah. which, you know, could lend their way to more favorable matchups for Michigan, you know, not getting beat up at certain places or stretched out. So I could see you could convince me Michigan's gonna lose in around the thirty two to Nevada. But you could also convince him Michigan's going to go to the Final Four. Yeah, that's,
2: kinda yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, credit to Scott Bell for this, but he brought up a great point today on Twitter that Michigan has not played in a ton of close games this season. There's only been three decided by five or fewer all season. Um, and, I mean, that just not a ton of experience. There was some experience last year. I mean, I know what Jordan Poole did, but we have not seen that same Jordan Poole since then. So... It, like you said man it could go either way this year this isn't a year like last year i was i was feeling really confident going into the tournament um i mean rightfully so when you run through the, the big 10 tournament like that and go into the ncaa tourney that hot it just makes a lot of sense same in 14 um but this year it's like i mean we're gonna need a lot of things to bounce our way i think
3: yeah i'm with you beeline's very good in the tournament and right? i I trust in him. I just hope we utilize some timeouts and some more team assists. But we'll see how it goes, man. We find out on Thursday. Which one day is it? uh, Thursday Thursday night
2: at 9.20 Eastern. Uh, So that will be 7.20 my time. Uh, Perfect time to crack open my sixth beer of the evening. Uh, Looking forward to that. I have a question for you before we move on. Um, And if you have anything else, by all means, stop me. I want you to rank – the players in terms of consistency, the starting five, and for this exercise, exercise consider Isaiah Livers uh, like six man. so put him in there, who is the least consistent to most consistent of our players, would you say, um, or vice versa, however you want to rank it, I'll give you that freedom.
3: I, just, I I have to put Jordan Pohl at least consistent, just because I feel like he just disappears so often. His numbers don't always drop dramatically. Like he'll still manage to finish like 11 or between 11 and like 17 points, but he just disappears for stretches. That stands out to me. Um, Isaiah Livers is an interesting test case because you know in games against Minnesota he'll just go off, and then in games against uh, Michigan State he'll have eight points and it's just very quiet for 25 minutes. Um, I think I'm going to put it number one. <clears throat> I know I'm going to bounce around this list some. Uh, Simpson Xavier Simpson he's He's the engine that drives this team. I'll probably go Simpson, Iggy, Teskey, Matthews, just because he's injured. He's been injured, and missed some time, and he's coming. He's really struggling coming back. Two points in this game in 21 minutes, only three shot attempts. So I go Simpson, Iggy, Teskey, Matthews, Liverpool.
2: Yeah, I like that list. I would push back on Livers because I don't necessarily know that they look at him as like a volume scoring option. Yeah. His three point percentage is, it was best on the team. I don't know what it is after Big Ten tourney. Um, but he's kind of like a utility man. Like, he can guard all five spots if you need him to. Um, definitely can guard four spots. Um, I mean, he's active, active defender. He moves the ball around. I mean, he drives the ball in. And he can keep you honest. I don't think that he's necessarily supposed to be their scorer. So I look at him as one of the more consistent guys. Okay. Um, but I mean, and then I, Teskey and Matthews, you can swap them around either way. Um, Teskey's always going to grab you some boards, but I mean, that's because he's gigantic. The biggest object under the rim should touch the ball the most so <laughs> but by default he's getting a lot of rebounds so I mean even when his shot's not on and his his offensive touch around the glass isn't on um, he's at least contributing um, Matthews contributes with his defense at all times so but yeah I'm okay with the way you rank that I would say that's pretty close and unfortunately yeah you're right pool is is dead last and he's still one of my favorite players
3: yeah yeah Jordan pool is probably my second favorite player on the team was my first until I met and fell in love with Iggy Brasdikas. Sure. But um, yeah, it, it, it's been a very interesting year. It feels like it feels like the year before the year in a way. Like I, This year thought like it was going to be the big one, but as this team's gone on, you can see the inexperience, the, uh, just getting used to different playing styles. I feel like next year's team is the one that's really going to be an issue, assuming people like Iggy, Jordan Poole,
2: and Isaiah Livers all come back. Yeah, no one's really even going to be calling Jordan Poole at this point. He's gone cold for too long, unless he just goes lights out for the tournament. Um, But people are still going to break down his game. And it's kind of like when I was watching Jordan Clarkson of the Cavs uh, in the finals the other year. It was like, yo, you have got a long way to go to be on this level of basketball. Like I kind of feel that way with Poole at the college level at times. Like, like yo, I mean, he's got a long way to go before he's NBA ready. Iggy Braz is 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 much closer. I mean, he and that's why you see that consistency. He finds ways to make it happen, and the the best NBA prospects will always make it happen at the college level.
3: Like, yeah, didn't uh, Jordan Clarkson go like? like 13 games without an assist and he's the
2: backup point guard. I've never seen anything like watching him play against Golden State. I was just like, you, sir, do not belong on this floor. <laughs> it's
3: like penguin sex, cold and weird.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't describe it as that at the time, but I should have. It's spot on.
3: <laughs> spot on. You know, I'm here for, you know, all those kind of analogies. Um, last thought on uh, – Michigan as they uh, enter the tournament here in a couple days. Um, does Michigan have a is Iggy Brodzik is is Iggy, Brazdeik, is, a, is, Iggy is good enough to be the best guy on a championship team?
2: That's a very very good question. With Duke um, or North Carolina likely staring you down, um, or even um, Virginia with DeAndre Hunter, yeah. um, I would say probably not. Um, I mean, we couldn't get it done with Trey Burke as our best player. Um, and we couldn't get it done with Mo Wagner as our best player. Um, you could make an argument that Iggy Brasdikas could be better than Mo Wagner. Um, but last year's team really, I don't know, it just felt a little different. Um, so so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm bouncing around this answer. I'm definitely dodging the question. Because now I'm <sharp inhale> rethinking it because Iggy Brasdikas might be better than Mo Wagner or could end up being better than Mo Wagner. So... Uh, maybe you could. You probably could, but you need a lot to go your way. And it can't be just Iggy Brozdakis.
3: No, it can't. Um, just as a straight player, I don't think Brozdakis right now is good enough to be that guy. Um, I definitely think there could be an argument for um, him eventually being better than Wagner. But Wagner knew how to affect the game in different ways when he wasn't scored. With his effort around the post, That's playing true. some defense. And he could also, I feel like... Um. Really take over stretches in second halves of games. Even when he's cold, it's like once Mo Wagner gets going with a couple behind the back moves to the rim, yeah. it just really takes over. And I just don't, I just don't think Michigan has the firepower or the star power per se to really do it this season.
2: That's a very good point. And was uh, Mo a sophomore or a junior last year? junior he was a junior so yeah you're talking about three years under beat like the the intelligence the basketball intelligence was I mean Mo Wagner was way ahead of him I was more saying Iggy could become a better player than Mo but I mean who the hell knows that's very difficult to predict um I think you're right I'm gonna go back for a third time just don't even <laughs> don't even bother asking me questions because I'm flipping around a flip-flopping around like a pair of sandals over here
3: you are ready for your career in politics
2: I, I was born ready
3: <laughs> um, there's a little football news this week. You want to talk a little football?
2: What kind of question is that, my friend? Do you even know me after all these pods? <laughs> after all these pods. After all these pods. Of course I want to talk football. Uh, yeah, kick us off, man. I think you uh, you read a little bit more about the, um, the, the presser than I did. I'm still not quite ready to, to get excited about football yet, but I'm definitely ready to talk about it.
3: Yeah, um, inject anything football-related into my veins. Um, you can read an article I wrote today, amazingbrew.com, uh, just kind of recapping some things I thought could you know, factor in for 2019. And we can just run through a couple of these. Um, so Harbaugh spoke to the media in his uh, introductory spring press conference. First time he spoke, it's just after the embarrassing Peach Bowl loss. Um, several things jumped out. Uh, firstly, as uh, we talked before about is this a quarterback competition – he says Shea Patterson is quarterback number one, but he can't kick his feet up and relax. He's been split, getting splitting equal reps with Joe Milton and Dylan McCaffrey. Your thoughts?
2: Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Did we not discuss this ad nauseum last week? I mean, it was pretty much a third of the pod. Uh, I said there should be an open competition. I think that That benefits everyone. Uh, You said that there will be, but in name only, it's going to be Shea Patterson, and that looks to remain the case. Uh, I didn't disagree with you, for those of you that didn't listen, but I don't (laughs) think much has changed based on what we kind of projected would be the case. Do you?
3: No, none at all. And for the, well, what about the equal rep splitting? It's spring practice. (laughs) This isn't game week, okay? There's not a game at the end. Everybody should be getting these equal reps to stay prepared, as we've learned Depth is important at the quarterback position these last two years.
2: Yeah, depth is important at any position. But, for I mean, the most important position on the field, obviously depth is important. I mean, uh, especially since Shea Patterson, he liked to run the ball. Uh, or they like to run Shea Patterson, and you like to have that option. Now, granted, he's not running like a Lamar Jackson or anybody was, and he's not giving his body up like that. But you still want Shea Patterson to be fresh, have fresh legs, and have that um, that that threat. To the defense, and I think oh, it'll be very interesting to see. We'll get to Gaddis, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how he uses Shea. Um, but I mean, you've got guys right behind him that can do a lot of the same things. And I definitely believe when Harbaugh says you can't put your Shea can't put his feet up, I definitely believe that part because you can't with that kind of talent behind you. This is not like when you're being backed up by like Shane Morris and like John O'Corn, like, this is a different animal.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We saw Dylan McCaffrey last year several times come in and just take over. Just like, wow, just really blow us away. And then we hear Joe Milton being described as like a generational arm talent. It's like, oh, okay. So yeah, he has that. The quarterback room is deep. Um, our perceived savior from a few years ago, Brandon Peters, is still on the team and forgotten about it. Fourth string battling Cade McNamara for reps. Um <laughs> So yeah, it's a, the quarterback room is deep. And like I said, Harbaugh's saying all the right things. If you're dealing with 20-something kids, and you don't want them to feel like um, they're just getting complacent or stagnant or going to plateau in their development. Harbaugh's doing everything right. It's almost like an NFL room without like a season starter, without a Tom Brady, because most NFL rooms are always going to be competitive, because you're gunning for someone's job. And that's how Harbaugh was, because he was in several quarterback competitions, And it's been the bread and butter since he came back to Michigan. So not surprised to hear it. Although I would bet my house that Shea Patterson's still starting game one.
2: Oh, I'm not going to take that bet because there's no (laughs) way around it. Although, I mean, if it were going to be someone, um, I definitely agree that it would be run DMC and Harbaugh kind of laid out that lineup there, that it is Shea number one, run DMC two and Joe Milton three. Um, no surprises there. And I don't think that's really going to change. Um, which is, which is kind of crazy, I mean, and we'll, we'll do a different pod on looking forward at what this quarterback depth chart's going to look like in the future, but uh, just know that we're really good behind Shea Patterson, and uh, the days of having to worry about John O'Korn or Brandon Peters come in there and, you know, do like a, uh, a, a thrust heave 16 yards down the field to Zach Gentry and pray, those days are gone. <laughs> Thank God. But we are going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. Okay, and we are back talking Harbaugh's presser and some of the spring depth chart positions. <laughs> and
3: speaking of interesting depth chart positions, um, we got some insight into the running back position. Um, Hassan Haskins and Ben Van Sumerin are all, I, that's how you say it, Van Sumeren? No one His knows. His name is, yeah, no one really knows. BVS and Hassan Haskins are, are back at running back. Uh, Christian Turner has surged. Uh, Charbonnet is currently injured, may not play in spring ball, and Chris Evans is still off the team, but will probably come back in the fall. My question to you is, who has a better chance at starting week one, Chris Evans or Zach Charbonnet? In part two, what does the depth chart look like in your mind the running back position?
2: Mm, I like it. We touched on this a little bit last week uh, in the spring competitions, I think that the first part of your question no doubt chris evans has a better chance to start week one um just in familiarity with the system trust of the coaches that makes a lot of sense there charbonnet is obviously the upside is way higher but they're also taking it easy with him he's not going to really be participating in the spring getting the knee scope rest up my sweet sweet prince um there's no need to rush him into this it's chris evans there um, and then what was the second part of the question? I, I just got to thinking what is about What does your
3: running back depth chart look like right now? Like, uh, a,
2: not excluding Chris Evans. Excluding Chris Evans. Uh, it would be Chris, uh, True Wilson, Christian Turner, Zach Charbonnet, 1, 2, 3. You said Ben Van Summeren moved to running back? I didn't even see that.
3: Yeah, he's, uh, he's at running back, and so is Hassan
2: Haskins. Good lord, that man looks like he's chiseled out of rock. He looks like the guy that plays the mountain. You're going to put that man at running back? That is devastating. I guess that's probably kind of in response to, to Ben Mason maybe moving around a little bit, and we'll get to that, but that that's interesting. Um, but yeah, that's my depth chart, and I'm sticking with that. Do you disagree?
3: Uh, I've really kind of fallen off the true Wilson wagon a little bit.
2: Okay. I mean, I, I think he'll, like we said last week, the trust factor. Uh, yeah, yeah. But go ahead I mean what what's your thought here yeah the trust factor is
3: critical and we as we've learned with hardball it's almost is always the number one factor for him uh, but everything I've heard about Christian Turner from different media outlets reported by our guys from coaches I really think Christian Turner is going to be leading this depth chart I really do just I feel like he's it's He's too hard to keep off the field. Then you bring True Wilson in, just a prototypical third down back, until you can really ease Charbonnet into the mix. With Hassan Haskins and Sumer, and I, I have no idea what they're going to do with those tanks back there. Um, you say in response to not having Mason there as much, because we'll get to him in a second, but we're not going to see much as much fullback at all anymore in That's Josh Gaddis' offense. So it's like, we're going to have some horses back there when we need them. So no, I think it's a really interesting position and the addition of Haskins and Van Sumer really make it more intriguing to me. Really just add some more depth, I think for security since they lost Taylor and Amari Samuels. But, um, yeah, man, I'm really fascinated by this position how it's going to shake out because like I said, we feel like Charbonnet the future. Also Christian Turner's kind of the future. Uh, true Wilson's really reliable. Uh, Chris Evans will be back on the team soon. Uh, we could go from slim to just overly blessed in a matter of months.
2: <laughs> yeah. I like the sound of that. And, uh, To your point, that's a very good point um, that you were making there about uh, mixing it up and giving a different dynamic. But True Wilson is going to see the field for one reason, and that is going to be his pass protection. Um, If Gaddis wants to open it up, he is without a doubt, unless Christian Turner's made crazy strides or Zach Jarbonnet comes in just way ahead of schedule, uh, True Wilson's an excellent pass blocker. So he's going to get in for that. Um, But as far as a ball carrier, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I don't – the ceiling on all those other guys and their explosiveness and their uh, take-it-to-the-house ability and, like, that big play ability, I think you've got to get them more touches. And uh, that's, unfortunately for True Wilson, probably going to mean he gets fewer opportunities to actually carry the ball but will still be an integral part of the offense.
3: It's um – this is weird to me, though. This was, I, I was kind of countering myself here. You mentioned I feel like True Wilson's falling down the depth chart. I felt like... Um, oh, man, I just went blank. Uh, who was our, our... Karan Higdon. I couldn't think of Karan Higdon's Good name. Good uh, How Karan Higdon had just, like, seemingly been forgotten at times and yeah. worked his way back up the depth chart to become a horse. That wouldn't surprise me, the way True Wilson is, especially if he could put on a little more weight. Um uh, but I just love the way he runs. If like I felt even with, like, at times last year, if I needed four yards and it was between Chris Evans and True Wilson, I was going to go True Wilson.
2: Yeah, no, I like that. But he's not going to all of a sudden get more athletic. He's not all of a sudden going to get faster. He can get a little stronger. Um, but now you've got Ben Van Summerine back there. Have you seen pictures of that human? Oh, it's not. A, we're not the same species. I refuse to believe no, that. We're not. I'm assuming the first person that he hits in the hole is just going to disintegrate.
3: <laughs> Between him and Hassan Haskins who spent his year at li- last year at linebacker
2: Yeah no, it's crazy man so I, I here's a concern though Ben Mason was also a devastating blocker and without him on the field like there were times where he made touchdowns happen um, you know and I'll get back into my film review of last year, but I just know that when I go through it he's going to pop because there were times when the announcers are like this play happened because of Ben Mason.
3: Yeah. I mean, you're right. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do or how much they utilize shotguns to negate pass rushes or the reliance on running backs blocking. So Josh Gattis' scheme, which we'll get into right now, could mean is, really good, is still everything to this team moving forward. And Harbaugh continued to hit the bullet points. Uh, just like a stump speech, he's out there hitting the key things. I gave him the keys. He's calling the plays. This is his offense. We're going to run tempo, take down-the-field shots. I mean... Take your pick of what you like more, but all that sounds so good.
2: It's such a po- good point. It is a political campaign, like coming out after that nasty like scandal that was Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. Like yep. that would be your Monica Lewinsky, your grab him by the you know the, yep. the you know, and and he's coming out just fully energized, he's recharged, pretending like nothing happened, but we remember. The voters remember. <laughs>
3: yeah unfortunately I was in Ann Arbor for that game with Broom uh, uh Brew hosted the event at the bar and it was not it was not fun but um <laughs> forgetting those terrible memories I mean everything he's saying has me just really excited for this offense I mean once again cr- credit to Harbaugh for changing and just adapting because this is not him and just to turn over the keys like this to someone when he realizes it, this time last year was this is a uh, you know, we're uh, we're going to do this together to be a collaborative effort. Pep Hamilton knows he's doing really great things. Now it's like, enjoy the XFL. We got Josh Gaddis, baby.
2: You know, I always love the enthusiasm, but uh, this early in the season, I'm not going to jump on board it yet. You know I'll come around. Um, but for now, um, I'm in prove it mode. Um, yep. and you can talk all you want, and you're absolutely right. The changes show that he at least realizes that there's deficiencies in the program. Um, so kudos to him for making those changes. But you allowed eight touchdowns to Ohio State, homie. Like, I am I got my eye on you. I want to see some zone coverage. <laughs> like, I got my eye on you. Uh, so I, I'm in wait-and-see mode, but you're absolutely right. And Gaddis is the spark plug that I think can change things. I mean, when they're talking about tempo, I mean, warm up the spoon because I'm tying off my right arm right now. Like, with the with those wide receivers and, I mean, the speed out of the backfield – tempo and, and spread it out I'm all about it don't get me wrong. But,
3: yeah. It sounds so good because hard, uh, hardball offenses have notoriously struggled with pace even back in those days the 49ers and Greg Romans offense they struggled with pace. so um, I'll be interested to see it and you talked about you know allowing eight touchdowns to Ohio State. I think we are slowly finding our answer along defensive end or along the defensive line with some new news of uh, David Ajabo has gained 20 pounds since arriving at uh, the start of this semester. He is now 6'4.5", 260, and Ben Mason is going to be featured as a three-technique D tackle and play end and see the field for 60 to 70 snaps next season. Oh,
2: oh. Man, that's crazy. A lot to unpack there. Let's start with Ojabo because we need to give that Mason news its, its due time. Um, Ojabo is a guy that we mentioned last week that makes a lot of sense as a breakout guy, kind of like the Luigi Valen of this class. Who's also healthy now and, uh, and turning heads early, but that could just be because, you know, Luigi Velaine is a freak athlete. We'll see where he's at as far as, um, you know, technique and being comfortable with the defense. Um, but Ojabo's a guy, I man, 20 pounds that has to be exaggerated. I mean, you've seen guys come in and definitely make those crazy gains. Um, Quiddy Pay last year um, rings a bell as a guy that came in, and I think he put in 20 pounds in one season. Um, but 20 pounds in just since he arrived? I mean, hasn't he only been there a couple of weeks? Like, is he just eating full lambs?
3: <laughs> he's been there for just about two
2: months. Two months. I'm mean, Yeah, I'm assuming they're just sacrificing lambs to this guy, and he's just consuming them outright.
3: The corpse of Ian Bunting has been put to good use. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's where he went.
3: <laughs> yeah man that's that's unbelievable how fast he is and i mean ma- the number probably is a little bit exaggerated yeah. but you know credit to michigan's nutrition program and their strength program under ben herbert i mean they are really putting a focus on making these kids look like elite professional athletes
2: now yeah who sees the field first ojaba or valane
3: valane no uh, if uh health if, if, if luigi valane is healthy it's him but um Luigi Villain has not been healthy in his first couple of years of Michigan, so that's a tough bet.
2: Yeah, I called the Mike, Mike McCray call on Luigi Villain. He's going to be out for a couple of years. People forget about him. We could really use an infusion of speed and talent. Uh, Luigi Villain or David Ajabo could be that injection because uh, yeah, we, we definitely need star power replaced if that's yeah. or yeah Or
3: Chris Hinton, Maisie Smith. Quiddy yeah. Pay, Aiden Hutchinson, Josh
2: Uche. <laughs> the, def- the defense needs a star, and there's plenty of guys that could rise up. But, yeah, why not Ojabo? Why not Valaine? Um, Or why not the other guy that you mentioned there? Uh, we have to talk about this. Ben Mason seeing 60 to 70 snaps throughout a game. Uh, my question to you is, how is that distributed? Uh, yeah, let's start there. How the hell is that going to be distributed? Like, if if the fullback's kind of becoming an afterthought, how does what does that look like?
3: it looks like Ben Mason's going to be primarily a defensive player. Um, let's assume uh, just based off this introductory press conference that he's only going to play in short yardage, goal line situations. Let's say Michigan's in 10 of those in a game. Okay. That's 50 to 60 snaps on the defensive side of the ball. Not to unless he's playing special teams. Um, yeah. That's a lot of, that's a lot of reps. And uh, I wrote in my piece today that that's going to affect some people on there. And if Ben Mason is bumping down talent, On this defensive line, because he's that good, that says something about Ben Mason.
2: Dude, he I mean, I I think we already knew that, though. You just can tell. Some people are football players, and some people are football fucking players. Ben Mason is the latter, dude. I mean, you could just tell. And honestly, this might be the best thing for him and for the team. Um, You get your best player on the field more at a position that, honestly, is of need. Um, our depth at defensive tackle is, is not that great. We, we touched on that last week. Um, it's strong at the top, but I mean, one injury to Carlo Kemp and all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, Um, very freshman reliant right now. Exactly. So this could be the best thing for him, especially since, uh, NFL teams aren't really looking for fullbacks, but defensive tackles, athletic defensive tackles that could at six, three potentially fall back to linebacker, which is what I would like to see. I mean, he's fast enough to play fullback. Is he fast enough to play linebacker? I mean, Ben Gideon wasn't that fast.
3: Yeah, and turned into a serviceable professional, so... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, man. This is uh, this is very interesting, and uh, uh, last note on defense from the press conference, Michael Barrett's back to Viper. I think he's the future of that position. Even coming in last year was just a uber-athlete, so uh, that was welcome news.
2: Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, the running back depth chart, as we just covered, is just really getting convoluted, and... Uh, Unless there's some injuries there, he's not really needed there, but he could always move back. Uh, whereas, as we also have covered, the linebacker depth chart needs a lot of help. So I would like to see Ben Mason go there, but you get Ben Mason and Barrett there, and then all of a sudden you've really shored up that linebacker depth chart. I know Mason, they're they're saying defensive tackle 6'3". That makes sense, especially since his neck is wider than a Volkswagen. Um but at the same time, it's really just improving depth um, on the defensive side of the ball, where for the first time in a long time, it looks like we're a little short-handed.
3: Yeah, and um, what I'm noticing now with this team under Harbaugh is uh, entering this new season, positional versatility seems to be really valued. And that began in 2016 with the Jabril Peppers of the world and uh, just different looks the team is giving them. And this is a... Um, a cornerstone of Bill Belichick when they're scouting players in the Patriots. Um, they're always looking for players that can play at different things, different sport athletes, can transition different skills. And I think that's a very good thing for Michigan because it never sets you in stone and heavy relying on this one guy. And we saw that last year as in a more recent example. Josh Uche was a linebacker originally, and last year came in and was a super productive defensive end. And I never would have thought that would happen.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right, and uh, I'm sorry, I may have missed it, you bring up the gentry move, I mean, the positional, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just switching it up, you're absolutely right about that, and I think that's something that he's valued, though, he did it at Stanford a little bit, where he would move guys around, but mostly it was between linebacker and fullback, but yeah, he's just looking for football players to get on the field, and uh, I mean, for the most part, it's worked out there, so they, they definitely know what they're doing, in player development, Um, They definitely know what they're doing as far as just overall coaching. It's just a question of, I don't even know what it's a question of to get over that hump. Um, And the last thing I want to touch on is kind of that statement that Harbaugh made uh, where it was in regards to the end of last year. We understand what happened in a couple of our ball games last year. There's a chip on our shoulder, and we're wearing that. But we're also wearing the fact that in the regular season, we were tied for the Big Ten East Division Championship. Does that... Accolade mean anything to you?
3: No, none of that shit matters. We got our ass beat by our biggest rival again. Just the making end. sure. <laughs> no, come on. I am no one. You know, no one's more excited for football than me. But I got to keep it real. Uh, yeah, no. I have the chip on your shoulder. Show me the last weekend in November after Thanksgiving, and then that's fine. I, I'm, I'm all excited for Josh Gattis' offense, but to me, beating Ohio State is about everything. And uh, so, yeah, that's where I'm at. But you know, just to
2: Bring myself back down. Um, I'm actually going to put the brakes on there, Andy. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back and finish that thought.
1: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are
0: gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. Okay, and we are back. Andy, you were talking one more of the developments from Harbaugh's presser.
3: Andrew Stuber and Jalen Mayfield are batter, battling at right tackle. I also brought up the point that I think there's a battle not being talked about enough of Stephen Spinellis and Mike Onwenu at right guard. What are your thoughts on both battles?
2: Um, for those not on the Skype conversation, I'm raising my right eyebrow like the rock. At that second one, because no, there's not a competition between Mike Anwenu and Steven Spinellis, unless Mike Anwenu wants to allow there to be a competition. Um, The the right tackle competition, however, is very real. And uh, I like what I read your article today, and I I like what you're saying about Mayfield maybe winning it. Um, That's kind of not the way we went last week. We were kind of both saying we thought Stuber might start. But I mean, I like that you've got a hunch and you're going with it. That's kind of what you got to do. And the potential of Mayfield is better. But I just, as, as he's better suited for left tackle, I almost wonder if it's more likely that he switches over there and Runyon moves right. But at the same time, left tackle is more important. Um, I, like, I like where your head's at, though. I think that would really benefit this team. If Mayfield works out, it's better for the team than if Stuber works out. We need Mayfield to work out because he's a left tackle prospect for
1: sure.
3: Yeah, Mayfield just has to learn the nuance of having a different hand in the ground and different steps and techniques and everything, where to have his head, um, leverage, all that. And I think that'll come quickly. And uh, I didn't know you are that high on Big Mike Onwanu. I'm not. I thought he was uh, one of our weaker linemen last year.
2: He was, but uh, yes, I've always been high on Mike Anwanu. Um And if you go back and, and check the receipts, you'll know that I've always been high on Mike Onwanu. Um because all of the coaches are high on Mike Anwaneu. They basically say that physically he's the most dominant guy on the team and there's no reason he should ever lose a one-on-one matchup. Um, so all he has to do is put together the last few pieces of technique and he's going to be, I mean, uh, who was the guy? David DeCastro? He's going to be the David DeCastro of this team, like like he was for Stanford under Harbaugh. He's, he's that talented. Um, he's just missing a couple, couple pieces and then no one will get by him. Mark my words, if he turns it around this year, he will be all Big Ten. He'll be all – I mean, he'll get NFL chatter. That's how talented Mike Onwenu is.
3: Man, I, I, I like your confidence in him because yeah. I don't. I just – I've seen him go streaky just so he can oh, be – No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I just I see just, – I'd see the holes there. But, no, man, I hope it works out for the better. I like Steven Spinellis a lot just because when he played – center he was serviceable coming into action i know the staffs always liked sure. him he's apparently one of the smartest guys on the team sure. looks like a big dork but he'd rip me in pieces yeah. uh <laughs>
2: the biggest dork on the team non-punter or kicker would probably beat the shit out of us so
3: uh, um one name you, we didn't discuss last week when discussing tackles but um heard some rumblings um just going back through some old clips of ryan hayes yeah uh, yeah he's been getting some talk and i uh, think if he put on uh a little bit more weight. He could be, I'm not going to say he's going to win, but he could be a future tackle for this team. He came in at 6'7", 270. Um, add a little bit more weight, get closer to 300. He could be our right tackle in the future. I just want to go ahead and put that on record for now.
2: Wasn't he recruited as tackle and moved to tight end as of last year?
3: Is he a tight end? I thought, I thought he was still a tackle.
2: Uh, my understanding is that he moved to tight end at 6'7"
3: why, why do we keep putting these oversized people at tight end that can't play tight end? Well, maybe he
2: can. Zach Gentry, if he had another year, probably could have played tight end, but
3: I don't think Zach Gentry ever going to learn how to play tight end. He's still running his 40 yard dash. Man. Um, yeah, he is a tight end, but I would like to see, I, I think he'll kick back maybe under this new offense as well, but you know, we'll see. We'll it's a, see. That's gonna that, it's that's one. I mean, that ties into our original point of positional versatility.
2: Yeah, no doubt. It's gonna be a question of need. We'll see who emerges where. You know, um, if if Mayfield and Stuber look good to go, then Hayes definitely kicks back to tight end, where you're really counting on Mustafa Muhammad to take a big jump this year or Luke Schoonmaker.
3: Um, what's the best position group on the offense next year?
2: Ooh, ooh, ooh. you're just gonna throw a question like this without preparation. Uh, it's it's wide receiver. It's definitely wide receiver. The best position group on offense is wide receiver. Number two would be offensive line, maybe. For, no, it's quarterback, number two. Yeah, wide wow. receiver, quarterback, and then I'm going to say offensive line, running back, tight end.
3: I'm putting the offensive line, too. I think this group is going to be outstanding in year 200 Ed Warner.
2: Sure, but I mean, just based on the information we have now, it's 100% the order I gave you. I mean, I'm happy yeah. to argue. We never argue.
3: No, I'm, like I said, I am always, I've always been, you know, lukewarm um, Luke on Shea Patterson. Like, he's fine, but I think this offensive line, you know, it's this,
2: right. this is the success of the team. But you said position group. You didn't say player. Like, best player okay, in position that's, group. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. No, with position group, Shea Patterson could be all Big Ten. Dylan McCaffrey could come in if Shea Patterson were injured week one and be all Big Ten. And if Joe Milton, for some, you know, catastrophic reason, had to come in, uh, he'd probably be Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Like, that's that's how deep that position group is. So, that's number one. Or no, number two, excuse me. Um, number one is definitely wide receiver. I don't know how you could argue anything else. That was your number one, correct? Yeah, that's, okay.
3: that's come on. Just saying, yeah, yeah. I am, you know, mildly sober.
2: <laughs> well, I'm not, but I'm still making reasonable points.
3: <laughs> um all right, man, last point on the football team. Um, Harbaugh was asked about Greg Madison. Uh, we all know what happened. Um, <laughs> apparently he was out recruiting hard for Michigan one week, and the next weekend he's becoming defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Um, Harbaugh says Greg Madison is still a good man, but we won't be sending each other Christmas cards or anything based on where we went. We'll be friends again someday, maybe when we're both done coaching.
2: Wow. Yeah, I did not read any of that. So this is the first that I heard that quote, actually. And um, that's pretty telling. Jim Harbaugh is not one to mince words, and he's also not one to dive into a subject unless he's like ready to talk about it. So that seems like something that he's thought about for, for quite a while. Um, I think that may have hurt Jim Harbaugh and the staff a little more, and probably the players a little more than we anticipated, and, and rightfully so. Damn, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I need a moment to process it.
3: <laughs> the Greg Battison move is one of those moves that really just adds to the rivalry. Like, the time it was happening, um, it, everything just collided. I mean, every, I mean, the sky was falling for Michigan at that time. And uh, it just felt like a really bad time the way he left. The news of Don Brown might be leaving. It seemed like Ann Arbor was on fire. Um, recruits were committing, decommitting. It was interesting. And I'm I'm really glad he handled it this way. I'm glad he didn't dodge the question. He took it head on and kept it honest. I think that's the right thing to do. And his answer honest, I really respect his answer because it seems like quintessential Jim Harbaugh like really taking the rivalry serious again. Like it's not just another game because it never is. And maybe this is just the fuel the, <coughs> the fuel of the fire needs for this team to get over the hump in November.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that, that perspective and maybe it is him taking the rivalry more seriously. Um, the Greg Madison move. I was, I was a very big Greg Madison fan, even after Hoke got fired throughout the whole Hoke ordeal, um, because our defenses were always solid, but he's not necessarily the defensive coordinator that Don Brown is. In fact, he's not at all the defensive coordinator that Don Brown is. Um, he was, he's not the defensive coordinator that DJ Durkin is. He's an incredible developer of defensive line talent. And to make that move, and you said it the best, um, offline, not on a pod to me, to sit in the locker room after that defeat to Ohio State last year and to tell those defensive players, look, guys, this is going to get better. We're going to come back next year and we're going to fix this. And then to leave them and go to that other team... When your family's in Ann Arbor, you're like 65 years old, like, your career has pretty much reached its pinnacle, like, and it's 100% a move designed to just fuck with Michigan. It It's, I, I, I'm with Jim Harbaugh, like, don't send him a Christmas card. I mean, give him a, give him a head nod on the sideline and move on, because I've moved on from Greg Madison.
3: It's a fucking snake move, dude, and... Kevin Durant. It's, it's bad, I mean... And then, ha- and then it also always makes you wonder, like he's, you know, apparently going uh, out on the road after the Ohio State game to recruit for Michigan. Also, why he's courting offers from their chief rival when Michigan and Ohio State are battling yep. for almost every recruit? Get out of my face with that.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. It's one of the biggest snake moves that Michigan's seen, and uh, no love lost, in my opinion. I literally advocated at one point for building a statue of him. Tear that theoretical statue down and and burn the burn the pieces of it because i never want to hear his name again <laughs> he's
3: gone hopefully gaddis gives him something good oh oh i almost forgot to do this i have a nickname for david ojabo already yeah i don't even I mean, know what he I mean, looks he, like he's added 20 pounds Jared. he's almost 6 260 all right so this simply
2: adding all- 20 pounds makes me deserving of a nickname give me a week yeah. and a half and, a, and like several tubs of ice cream
3: Yes, get ready, alright? So his name's Ojabo, so I'm going to call him El Jabo, or something like that, like El Chapo.
2: What about El Jabo the Hutt?
3: Come on, no, he's not that big.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're really playing up on the weight gain thing, I'm just trying to help you get there.
3: It's true, but he's probably 260 and pretty chiseled.
2: El Jabo the Hutt? I mean, Jabo the Hutt gets a lot of shit, but I mean, he was a successful gangster for a long time. Really lived a long life for a gangster, and his line of work? At, Very that true. at that weight?
3: At that weight, too. Yeah, you're, uh, you're you're making a good point. We'll have to debate this more <laughs> this season. It's but a yeah. different pod. Different pod. You know, do we call him a Mexican cartel leader or, you know, a space gangster? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Difficult to say. Next week on Out of the Blue. I've uh, <laughs> got one last football thing uh, before we go to our final segment. Who's your breakout player on defense next year? Uh, not a player that we've heard before, player that we haven't heard.
3: Player that we haven't heard You got about year.
2: 10 seconds for this one because you can't just think through the roster yeah, what's your gut um, telling you what's your gut telling you can it, it can, I mean we know every um can it we be a freshman it. we know everybody yeah that's true but not like he didn't get his name called a bunch last year
3: okay um Is I'm gonna it? say God, I like I like what you were saying earlier, and I'm liking everything I've heard so far, and um, injury, you know, injuries be damned. Luigi Valaine.
2: That's a good call. I like the Valaine call. Can't go Ambry Thomas, we've heard his name a bunch. Uh, Dax Hill, could you say that? Yeah.
3: That's, that's, I mean, it feels pretty penciled in that he's going to start already.
2: Yeah, that's not fair. So, uh, with that being said, I'm going to say Jordan Anthony. Um, oh, a guy really? that's going to get every opportunity, a lot of speed, uh, four-star guy. And, I mean, like I said, the, the biggest thing going for him is opportunity. And he's going to get every single chance. They want him to get snapped. So if he puts the work in at his speed, I think that he'll see the field and he could make a name for himself.
3: Uh, honorable mention, Cam McGrone.
2: Yeah, Cam McGrone. He He's another guy. Same thing that I just said for Jordan Anthony yeah. goes for Cam McGrone. Well,, uh, unless you've got anything else to talk football, finish it out with our little entertainment segment here. I am ready
3: for an entertainment corner or something. We'll have some some affiliation official segment coming up, but you know, we like to talk a little little entertainment at the back end here.
2: Oh, yeah, we can definitely come up with something. We're creative people that like coming up with nicknames. We'll uh, we'll come up with it. But this week we're talking underrated comedies, movies only. Uh, we just came up with these moments ago, but I'm very interested to hear what you got. The definition of underrated can obviously uh, be debated, but uh, we're just going with ones that not everyone knows about. What did that list that you looked up have on it? Like airplane and like Anchorman and pretty much and the every. The Princess comedy. Bride.
3: I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, so what is
2: a what is a like on the radar comedy? I have no idea. What
3: they probably think like, Scary Movie One is like an on the radar comedy movie. <laughs>
2: Well, regardless, we're going to give our underrated comedies, give me number one, go.
3: Uh, in no particular order, one of my underrated, favorite underrated comedies is Zack and Mary Make a Porno.
2: Oh, yeah, I absolutely love that one. You get uh, Jay from Jay and Silent Bob, like the only thing other than a Jay and Silent Bob movie. Uh, Seth Rogen, uh, what's her name? That's been Elizabeth Banks, Academy Award nominee, Elizabeth Banks. Beautiful.
3: Yeah, it's great. Kevin Smith movie, one of his only good movies outside of his uh, mall ratzian universe. So really good, really enjoyable. Great Craig Robinson, great Seth Rogen, easy rewatch, just good time.
2: Uh, special props to Justin Long for the funniest scene in the entire movie with the Nickelodeon sheep comment.
3: Oh, my God. That Yeah, I was about to say that. Justin Long, with the heat check performance of all heat checks, I mean, comes in for five minutes of the game, knocks down three threes, and walks out.
2: Steals it. Alec Baldwin, Glengarry, Glen Ross-esque.
3: <laughs> Very much so. An all-male-related scene. Even mention Glengarry, Glen
2: Ross in that scene in a more uh, profane way. <laughs> I'll have to rewatch. I did not know that. But my number one, or no particular order here, but my first, uh, Stealing Harvard. Jason Lee, the ever absurd Tom Green in peak Tom Green form. Um, it's just ludicrous. Um, there's, some, some, <laughs> yeah, there's some good cameos in it. And Tom Green, as he did with his comedy from from day one, takes it to a level that's just so ridiculous. And I'm always a fan of the absurd. So, Stealing Harvard. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth an hour and 38 minutes or whatever it is.
3: Tom Green had a run there. You know, goes a couple string of uh, road trip, this, and, uh, the supporting uh, appearance in Charlie's Angels. And his absurdist honestly reminds me of like a poor man's Will Ferrell, how Will Ferrell always takes something to the extreme. And it's really funny physically uh, in a bunch of different ways. Tom Green would do that. But, like I said, it's the poor man's will, Ferrell for a reason. But he did have his
2: moment. He really did. And unfortunately, he inspired my friends and I to act like that in the real world. And, uh, I mean, it certainly spawned some laughs, but uh, also nearly got us arrested.
3: <laughs> Probably didn't do too much for your sex life either.
2: Well, I mean, I was like 16.
3: <laughs> all right, non-existent. Yeah, Check. I mean, he was my
2: it was my right hand, and often. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: all right, my number two uh, underrated comedy, Sex Drive.
2: Oh yeah, Sex Drive. I, I just recently watched that a couple of months ago. Uh, didn't stand out, but okay.
3: I'll
2: yeah, like I said very underrated. Just like a
3: kind of nice road trip buddy teenage movie that you don't really get anymore. Uh, st- um. Clark Duke, James Marsden, Seth Green steals the movie when he comes in the scene. is just like a sarcastic uh, Amish mechanic, kind of do-it-all savant. Um, easy watch, enjoyable, heartfelt. Um, like I said, it's nothing you're going to just remember the rest of your life, but anytime that you catch it on cable, you're going to give it a watch.
2: Yeah, now that you mentioned that, I have seen it twice because it came on before that and I, and I sat through the whole thing. Seth Green is the Amish guy, you're absolutely right. Uh, my number two, Evolution, di- directed by Ivan Reitman, uh, the same guy that did Ghostbusters. You got David Duchovny, and if we're talking underrated, it gets no more underrated than David Duchovny, Sir David Duchovny. Uh, Orlando Pace, another one of the most underrated comedic actors, uh, also in The Replacements, The Wide Receiver. Yes. Uh, another situation where he's just being slept on like a goddamn certa mattress. Julianne Moore, Academy Award winner Julianne Moore. Sean William Scott, who's never been nominated for anything but was Stifler. Uh, you got Dan Aykroyd as the mayor. Harold Ramis is involved in the picture. Uh, Evolution is so slept upon. I laugh every single time. It's incredibly quotable. Evolution. I hope you've seen it.
3: I, I saw it when I was a little kid, but I haven't seen it in probably 18 years. Rewatch. I need to. It is criminally underrated. David Duchovny is probably... Probably in our Hall of Fame for you know, just underappreciated yeah. actors. Sam Rockwell was leading that charge, but you know, two years now with yeah. Oscar nominations and yeah. one win, he's no longer underappreciated. Yeah,
2: that's wiped that out. Good call. But uh, yeah, David <laughs> Duchovny is still, I mean, because it's not just The X-Files. No, no, which is fantastic. Which but I, I w- I'm going to turn that on as soon as you stop talking. I have to hear
3: the music. The truth is out there, Jared. <laughs> um, <laughs> my third choice? Is a Martin McDonough film from 2000, another film from 2008 uh, in Bruges, starring Colin Farrell and, oh, I can't think of his name, uh, Brendan Gleason and Ray Fiennes. Yes. It is very dark, very hilarious. Uh, Martin McDonough did Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards. The movie is just outstandingly funny. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Um, oh, kills me every time. Anytime Ray Fiennes speaks,
2: I just I'm in I'm in stitches. He's one of my favorite actors because uh, he was so typecast as a villain, and then to come back with roles like that in the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, and be like likable, funny characters. I love Ralph Fiennes. Uh, great call. Didn't think on that because it's so dark. You don't even really think of it as a comedy, but it is.
3: Yeah, very very British, very dark, but very British. funny.
2: Hella British. Uh, my next one here, uh, a movie a little more recent. It's called The Goods Live Hard, Sell Hard. A little bit more on the absurd side. Uh, that happens when you've got Jeremy Piven and Will Ferrell as co-writers. It stars Ving Rhames, Jeremy Piven, David Ketchner, who is champ from uh, Anchorman, Rob Riggle, the ever absurd Rob Riggle. Um, and then you've got uh, Catherine. Uh, oh man, what's her name? Catherine Han. Catherine Han. Yeah, I mean it's just loaded. And then you go down and like supporting actors. You've got guys like James Brolin's in there. Um, they get Tony Hale, who is Buster from Ed Helms. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ed Helms is in there. Ken Jeong is in there. Alan Thicke. I mean it's just loaded. <laughs> Um, And nobody really knew about it. It wasn't one that got talked about like Step Brothers, but you go back and it's every bit as funny as Step Brothers, like just the absolute absurdity. They're not afraid to take it over the top. Will Ferrell comes in with the Abe Lincoln parachuting with a parachute full of dildos and just steals the show.
3: (laughs) It is absolutely one of the most absurd comedies I've ever seen, but... (laughs) I'm with you, man. It, I rewatched this uh, a couple months ago and was just shocked at how funny it was. Um, the director Neil Brennan used to write for the Chappelle Show. That tells you how absurd it's going to be. But just everything in it stands out in a way. Like, why wasn't this movie a thing? Why didn't have Why didn't it have a moment? You know, I'm just still shocked it didn't.
2: Yeah, and uh, maybe it's one of those that kind of grows. Uh, the the lore grows with time, and hopefully this will help because it's worthy of watching. I mean. Don't really uh, think about it because like you said, it's ludicrous, but just sit back and enjoy
3: it. Yeah t- grab some popcorn. It's a late night watch. Um, my last one is a movie that came out very recently uh, just a couple years ago in 2016. And it's a movie I went into expecting it to be terrible because uh, most satires and like mockumentaries are terrible that are put out in you know, <laughs> nationwide theaters. But uh, it's a pop star, never stop, never stopping, of uh, Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island troupe, and it is hysterical. All of the just gimmicks they play, uh, um, every bit they make fun of the, the music industry, celebrities in general. Uh, Tim Meadows is hysterical in it, so is Sarah Silverman, Maya Rudolph, Chris Redd from Saturday Night Live. It is so well, like, deceivingly well-written and funny that I don't think it ever got its true appreciation.
2: Man, that is a great call. I honestly <laughs> forgot about that one. It's so underrated, but I've watched it, like, three times. And, uh, yeah, the Fuck Bin Laden song is oh. its on, like, several of my playlists. <laughs>
3: just, all their songs are just so ridiculous like and it's it's like if you like Lonely Island you're gonna love every second of this movie
2: yeah no that's a great choice that's a great choice my last choice you might be able to call me out on and if you do I have a backup uh, this may or may not be underrated and it's me myself and Irene it's a Farrelly Brothers comedy it's got Jim Carrey in it but it's nowhere near Jim Carrey's most talked about comedy is this an underrated I'll, I'll wait for your judgment I think
3: I think it's a divisive comedy, more than underrated, but in our circle and our, like, brand of humor, it's definitely underappreciated.
2: Okay, I think so as well, because I was discussing it at work the other day, and no one had seen it, and no one had even heard of it. They didn't even know that he made this movie, and I'm like, well, you've seen The Cable Man, and that is just, that's pure, unadulterated trash. (laughs) <laughs> the cable guy yeah the cable guy the cable man <laughs> yeah that movie sucks
3: yeah I promoted. this one is um his sons in this movie Anthony Anderson and Gerard Mixon Steal oh my it. god Steal they're just it. outrageous
2: yeah absolutely hilarious where uh they're trying to learn to fly the helicopter it's just simple lift versus drag versus rotation motherfucker it's not that hard All right. <laughs> And
3: I mean, a surprisingly deep cast with Chris Cooper, Richard Jenkins, Robert Forrester, Tony Cox, Renee Zellweger. I mean, it is loaded. Everything is just great, and it's it's like a it's like a Jim Carrey movie at times. But it's like you see some of the acting chops that come out later in his career with how he can flip the switch, and he does it with more than just physical cues. It is, but man, when he becomes Hank, it's just strap it in.
2: It's honestly very impressive acting. You're right. You yeah. kind of alluded to it, like, more than just the comedic value of Jim Carrey being able to switch physically in and out of those two roles. Like, he does it in the same cut. Like it's yeah. pretty impressive stuff.
3: It's no, it's it's definitely worth a watch and it's <laughs> it's funnier now to think that Peter Fairley just won a best picture Oscar.
2: Yeah, it's completely absurd to think about that because he was wearing a fake chin like wagging a dildo just a couple years ago and me, myself, and Irene. But
3: well, It was clearly a makeup Oscar for this gym, you know? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But uh, All right, man, that's going to do it for us tonight. Michigan plays Montana. That will be tomorrow night, 9.20 Eastern time, which is most of your time. Um, any final thoughts about that game before we sign off? go blue let's get to saturday that's it for out of the blue i'm jared that's andy reminding you that wherever you go go blue